Will y'all again welcome to the Springs? So glad you're here. I had the privilege of first coming and checking out the Springs December of 2016. I just came down. I was doing a wedding for a friend of mine over in Wimberley. I'd known a little bit about the Springs. I was starting to get introduced to them. At that point, my wife and I, we were living in Dallas. We were on staff at a church there. I came down. I hung out on a Sunday. I had no idea on that Sunday the path that God would lead me down. Where it led to right after that is I got connected to a search committee. The Springs at that time, they were looking for a pastor, trying to identify, hey, who would God have come and lead this body? I went to a lot of interviews. Many of them, that process for me lasted about nine months all the way from the first time to multiple interviews to talking to emails to them, calling friends that I was under leadership with and where I was at. And I spent a ton of time, and rightly so, the leaders of the Springs at that point, them coming and saying, hey, what would it look like? What would God have for the local church? How would you care for this? What would you do for that? What's your opinion on this? What does scripture say about that? I talked about a whole bunch of complex, at times confusing, and yet, mostly, simple issues. And I can remember, man, I didn't have a problem thinking about any of it. It was a privilege, it was a joy. I had, a, I had an assurance in my soul, there's no way God will bring me here unless he sovereignly, providentially wants me here. So there's a peacefulness to it. But I can remember, man, we'd go down and the Springs were so gracious, they said, hey, would you come be a part of this body formally? I can remember for me, I, I worked through this on-off phase, but forgetting that part, once I came to the part where my heart was, okay, I think this might be where God leads me. I think this might be what God has for me. I can remember at that point, again, was on staff at a church in Dallas. I went to lunch with the head pastor there. He was my boss, great man, faithful. He had been pastoring. He'd been leading a body for north of 20 years, just, just a faithful man. I can remember sitting there as I ate these uh, chicken tenders with him on Greenville Avenue in Dallas, leaning across the table and asking this question. I just have to ask you. I, I think that the job is actually really simple. I think pastoring, it's actually really Simple, and I'm, and I'm leaning over, because he, again, he was like this mentor, this kind of father in the faith type figure to me, and it's almost just like, man, I may be a total idiot, but can you help me? And I lean over, and I say, I, I think all that a shepherd, that a pastor does is he comes alongside, and he helps followers of Jesus be everything, and, and the values at the springs would be what I listed off. As I'm sitting there eating chicken tenders, I just looked at her and I said, you help people be biblically based, grounded in grace, persistent in prayer, living authentically, relevant and innovative so as to become all things to all people, to use the gifts that God has given them to minister to the church, to edify the body, to go to seek and to save the lost, to give their life away on behalf of what Christ has done. And I literally just went through these values. And I said, I think the only thing I'm supposed to do is creatively, because you can't say it the same way week after week, creatively help people love, trust, and obey. And he looked at me, 
And he had this huge smile. And he said, that's it. And if you ever start doing anything else, you're probably doing it wrong. I share that, though, because this is the guy. He'd come, he'd talk week after week, decades, imploring people, leading into complexity, having difficulty, discipling folks in the Christian life, discipling me in it. And yes, there can be countless topics, countless things, and yet he helped me boil it down to this simple assessment of the walk of a Christian, what it looks like to pursue God as God has already pursued you. I'll never forget sitting there because it was a moment where I realized, yes, there can be complexity, but man, the Christian life, it's honestly not that complex. It can be hard, though, but it really is amazingly simple. Here's the reason I start with that idea. Here's the reason I start with that story today where we are in the text is we continue our way through the book of James. James is going to come, and he's essentially going to summarize the life of a Christian, the life of faithfulness, into not some 30-week sermon series, into not some massive breakdown, but to what would have taken 30 seconds to just read to a group of people. Now, James, he would have known upon the reading of his words, folks would have then talked about it. They then would have taught to it. But what's beautiful about where we're going to be today is James reminds us the life of a Christian is not complicated. It can be hard, but it's not complicated. And the reason why I think that's so helpful for me is because even in my own life, I can come and at times where I feel like the system of, man, am I doing this right? Like, is this the right way to go about growing in godliness? Like, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, let me ask you, have you ever felt emotionally distant from God? You ever felt unconnected? Ever then stopped and wondered why? Ever stopped and wondered, well, how, how, do, I, how do I grow? Is emotion a symptom of faithfulness? The answer there is yes and no, not at all. Right, well, what does it look like? How do I sometimes get around some people and they seem to have like this zeal, like a sincere joy, like a peacefulness, man. Like the AC breaks on their house and the emergency fund can't cover the whole thing. And though they've been faithfully stewarding, faithfully giving, trusting God with everything, there's this calmness of he's taken care of me before, he'll take care of me again. Like you get around those folks, you're like, dude, I want to be like that. You get around the people and you come and you see their marriage and you see husbands not essentially go home because they're supposed to, but go home to spouse, to kids, because that's where they've wanted to be all day long. A wife that doesn't tolerate a husband. A wife that fights to, to treasure a husband. A, a college kid working through life, thinking about, or anybody, thinking about how do I increasingly allow Jesus Christ to be the leader of my life in a way to where it actually makes a difference? Not because I'm supposed to, not because I've always gone to church, not because it's an expectation of my parents, or I grew up in New Braunfels, or I grew up in shirts, wherever, but because he changed me, or because he saved me. 
Those can seemingly be complicated questions. What James is going to show us today is they have tremendously simple solutions. And man, what I love about this too is if you're here and you're even working through faith, like you believe or you don't believe, or like you grew up in church, or perhaps you're like me. You, like, you came and you hung around this for a long time, yet you never really cared. You never really connected to it. And your life was marked by the same hypocritical judgment that everyone says is wrong with the church. You were the problem, or you are the problem. Here's why I love about this. At the core of everything we're going to talk about today, the solution to every issue in my life, the complex, the simple, there's a key component, and it's this. Who's in charge, me or God? Who leads, me or God? The re reason I share that is if you're here and you're wrestling with the whole idea of, I don't even know if I believe or want to follow God, then what we'll talk about today, it will be harder for you. What we'll talk about today, the only reason people would do this, the only reason they would follow is if they knew how much the Father loved them. And that's what I pray you hear. Where are we going to be looking at this? James chapter four. James chapter four. We're just gonna zoom in on three verses. My wife asked me this past week, man, as, as you've taught through James this whole time since kind of the beginning of the year, what's been the part you've most enjoyed, most connected, most looked forward to? And I looked at it, I was like, I think it's this coming Sunday. Why? Because this was a passage that in my own life brought a tremendous amount of freedom. Because again, I, I trusted Christ and I'm sitting there and I'm trying to figure it out and everything feels complex, but I just want to grow in this love. And I remember stumbling across this and thinking to myself, it's that simple and yet that hard. Because there's this key component to a Christian life that really distinguishes the path to freedom. And it's a word that not a lot of people like. It's a word, especially in American culture, like when we say it, it leaves this like bitter aftertaste. It's submission. We're going to spend today talking about how submission is the path to freedom. The areas of my life where I do not submit, come under the leadership of God. Those are the areas where I bring pain. Those are the areas where I tend to think, hey, my way's better. Those are the areas where my passivity leads to pain in the lives of others. So as we look at how submission, and again, I know it's like this negative term. As Americans, we're like, that's terrible. Why would you ever, all this kind of stuff, stay with me? There's three characteristics that really mark a Christian submission to God the Father. A submission that leads to freedom. It's a faith that has a commitment it's a faith that is known for cleansing, and it's a faith that is marked by contrition, contrition. As we look at this text, here's where we've been. James is right now in this section, in this theme, where he's really going against worldliness, worldliness being in any part in the life of a Christian where we straddle the fence, 
where we say, hey, God, I will parent the way you want me to parent. Yet, the way I steward my money, I will steward it the way you say, unless the way you say leads to, I don't get to buy a new truck this year. Then, my way. Hey, God, I, I will care for, um, I will work the way you would have me work, which, by the way, Christian, everything you do is a sense of worship. Whether you are a surgeon, you are a mailman, you are a stay-at-home mom discipling the home, everything you do is an act of worship. Hey, God, in those ways, I will give it over to you. But my husband, I won't pursue him. He's a jerk. I'll wait for you to change him. He's more wrong than me. Fix him before you start with me. Anytime we straddle the fence in our faith. Last week, James called it adulterous faith. Anytime we do that. that, that's what James is going after. And I really think what he's done right here is he's added this section because he knows I have a tendency to make things complex when in reality that yes, they can be hard, but it's really very simple. So if you have a Bible, turn with me. We are in James chapter four, verses seven through 10. I'm gonna read all of it, and then we're gonna come back and we'll work through seven and eight, eight and then nine and 10. Submit, man, that's a strong starting statement. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Dude, it's like a super happy passage, right? Like we all came to church today looking like for that great moment, like pat myself on the back, like I'm doing pretty well. And James is coming out swinging like, you laughing, you should weep. Like, you trifling, purify your hearts, you sinners, right? Why do you think he's doing that? Because I think he's self-preaching. I think James is leaning into our lives because he knows what he has a tendency in his own life. And he knows what's true, how Jesus Christ has set him free, his big brother. And he wants us to come and take seriously a pursuit of God. Far too often the church, myself included, we, we trifle with the things of God. We flirt with faithfulness. We don't follow the Savior. And that's why James is leaning in. So let's circle back up to the top. Let's read verses 7, and then we'll read the start of 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Today, as we talk about how submission is the pathway to freedom, the first thing that marks submission, that marks a faith that is submitted to God and to God alone, it's commitment. It's commitment. What really comes with commitment is it is an active choice. One of the things that I spend a lot of time talking with folks about is the reality of biblically where the word love is what love really means, what faith, especially in the book of John, you see it 49 different times, faith, is it a noun 
or is it a verb? Is love a noun or is it a verb? Is it a choice? Is it an action? Or is it something I fall into and I'm swept up in bliss by? Church, falling in love is a commitment to growing in love. The people whose love of Christ is the type of faith we want to emulate, it's because there's a commitment to Christ. Let me show you that from the text. Submit here, so he starts. Submit, again, it, it leaves this bitter taste. All it means is to, it's like to fall into rank. James, he's using military terms here. It would be as if you to come under and to follow the leadership of. We so have this tendency, though, to view this as the sense of, like, submit means bow. Right? Husbands abuse this in marriages. Wives, as you are called biblically to submit to your husbands, there's a few things you must know. One, right before that text, and we're kind of stepping out of this, right before that text, it says, hey, submitting to one another. So every Christian is called in mutual submission. What is a wife called to do with her husband? To follow leadership. I had the chance to talk to some young adults about this this past week, where so many times culture can create the sense of submission means inferiority, inadequacy, less than capable. None of that is true. What it looks like is trusting leadership, leadership that would go so far as to die on your behalf. So what does that mean, wives? I'm not telling you to submit to childish husbands. But we are called to follow godly leadership. To where as God comes to do this, he's using a military term where you come up and it's like this, sh- this soldier that forms into rank where there's this trust of the general. You've led me well. I can trust you with more. And marriages, the sense around submission. I love dancing. This is the way I tend to describe it. Dancing with my wife, part of my job, and, and I learned a two-step when I moved from Atlanta to Dallas. First time I learned to do that. It's a great thing. If you ever want to go to Green Hall, I'll want to go. My wife doesn't really like it, but I'll just say, I'll go with you. Right, two-stepping. My jobs, every time Taylor comes and she steps out on that floor, it's for her to have fun. It's to lead her around in a way to where the way I dip her, the way I spin her, the way I navigate this dance floor, man, she radiates She's made to look glorious. It's what she so trusts me to say, take care of me. Lead me in this, knowing one day I will stand before God. As he says, how did you take care of? How did you lead? I gave you an example of what that looks like, John. It was my love for you. How did you do that for her? The first component on the pathway to freedom is you and I realizing Faithfulness does not take place apart from submission. And what are you called to submit yourselves? It's all of you. It's not part of you. Like one of the things we as Christians do, we create these categories. God wants no category. He wants all of you. And what are we called to submit to? God. He's king. He's savior. He's ruler. He's God. I have a tendency to want to make myself God. You have a tendency to want to make yourself God. Always leads to pain. Sure, sure, there'll be a season where I bet it'll be fun. It'll feel good. But later, it always leads 
to pain. You, you see this, again, we reference with finances where folks come and they say, no, I'm going to steward it my way. And that greed just creeps into the soul to where there's never enough. You, you just see this, oh man, you see this a ton with, with evangelism. Right? Every follower of Jesus Christ is meant to tell the world how Jesus has changed them. That's not meant for extroverts. That's not meant for Billy Graham and his descendants. Every follower of Jesus is meant to be a city on a hill. Yet me, I go out, and I love doing that. Yet the moments when I don't, why? It's because I don't want them to think I'm weird. That's called giving in to fear of man, approval of man, rather than faithfulness to God. And what do I not experience then? Same sense of joy. Same sense of purpose where, yeah, not every conversation goes great. But man, when you get people who lean in and they want to hear about my God, that's worth every minute. Submission leads to freedom and it starts with a commitment to submission itself. The other thing that happens is resist. What, what do you resist? The devil. Resist here, it, it's a military term. Again, it means to take a stand against Church, if you want to grow in faith, if you want to experience freedom, there can be zero passivity towards the sin in your life. Like we, we have this tendency, and we talked about this last week, to tolerate sin. Like there's sins that I think are really serious, and then there's sins that I don't think are all that bad. There, there's a book out there called Respectable Sins. It's this broken version of how the church will come. And man, hey, you know what we should go really hard against? Alcoholism, that's really bad. You know what we should go really hard against? Addiction, narcotic abuse, that's really bad. We should go really hard against abuse. We should go really hard against adultery. We should go really hard against homosexuality. We should go really hard against transgender community. Let's go really hard on all that. Yet my passive leadership in the home, oh man, it's just because I'm busy at work. Yet my distrust of God with my money, oh no, no, man, I'm just trying to provide a great life for my kids because I want to give them the life I never had. Foolishness, unbiblical sin, Jesus died for it. Resist the devil. What do you resist? Every form of sin. Every single bit of it from your pleasure-seeking to your prejudice. Kill it all. Why? There's a devil. You have an enemy who seeks to devour. There's a classic passage, 1 Peter 5, 8, 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood, Throughout the world, you see this Peter, James, the book of James was written before 1 Peter. Peter's borrowing James' language. And Peter's saying, man, you have an adversary. If you don't have a defense, you will lose. Resist the devil. And here's why I love this too. And he will flee from you. So many times you come into my own life, I, I feel in bondage to sin like there's things in my life that I just can't break out of. Or you come and connect with people and it's like, no, I, I am chronically anxious. This will never progress. This will never get better. And you stop and think that would be true apart from you have the Holy Spirit. 
I'm not saying this changes like that, but I'm saying a progression of faithfulness is absolutely a biblical reality. Hey, I'm addicted to the things I look at that I hide in secret. You wouldn't probably call it an addiction, though. But you keep doing it even though you don't want to do it. I'll never be able to stop. I could never tell. No. If you resist, he will flee. It's, it's the reality of Christians never a victim of their sin. In Christ, because of his spirit, we can have victory. It's not complicated, but it can be hard. And how do we know this to be true? Because as you're doing this, there's this heart drawn near to God, and he will draw near to you. What vanquishes sin, faith in Jesus Christ, in the presence of God himself? Drawing near, it just means to move towards, right? It's this beautiful picture where one scholar really liked what he said. It is a pursuit of an intimate love for God. You could spend an entire 30-week series talking about how do you draw near, right? For me in my life, I sincerely enjoy connecting with God through his word. Like, I like to read that. I enjoy that. My wife, my wife, that is much more of a discipline for her. Her heart doesn't lean into it. Her heart has to choose it. What does my wife like to do? My wife likes to take bubble baths, listen to music, and read like this Christian poetry book written by a guy named Henry Nowen. That sounds terrible to me. <laughs> that sounds absolutely awful, right? But here's what's true. Okay, that's how she draws near. That's how I draw near. What's this consistent theme? In every form of drawing near, God's word in prayer. Is there more creativity than that? Yes, but what I'm telling you is you can't draw near to someone you're not hearing from, and you can't draw near to someone you're not talking with, which is prayer. Church, we draw near. Now, here's why I love this. As we draw near, guess who runs towards us? God in heaven. It's a promise. If you move towards God, he moves towards you. But if you say, I don't want you. If you say, no, 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 God, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna hedge this faithfulness. I'm gonna straddle the fence. I'll say, okay, I'll leave you to it. If you don't want me, fine. But he, just like, like the prodigal son in the story, many of us know, as the son returns, the father runs. Church, submission is the path to freedom. What is a mark of it? It's commitment. It's first the reality of I submit to him. Every area of my life, God, not parts of me, all of me, I'm not gonna trifle with faithfulness. I'm not gonna play this version of Christian patty cake and pat myself on the back and pat the back of others around me and say, yeah, we're doing what God wants us to do. It's not it. What do you do? What do I do? Resist the devil. You war against sin in your life. You take sin seriously. The external ones that, yes, we could see, as well as the internal. And you draw near. There's a God in heaven who wants to meet with you. A.W. Tozer, this famous uh, Christian theologian, man, he, he wrote this essay. He called the essay, Nearness is Likeness. Nearness is likeness. 
what he says by that is when you get around people and they remind you of God. When you get around people and there's that attractive, inspiring component of faith, here's what's true behind that. There's a sincere nearness in their pursuit of God. Like one of the things that tends to happen is people will come and they'll say, man, that person though, they just have like this special relationship with God. Like it's just different. They just have this special connection. Man, biblically, I don't think that's true at all. Like what people don't have is God coming and giving a unique love and a unique preference to where as you come, yes, every person's different and you're not an apostle. But what God wants to come in your life and my life and their life and the other person's is a sense of nearness, of a sense of intimacy. He rewards those who seek him. So when you see faith that's attractive, don't think they have a special connection. That, when I do that, that's a cop-out. It's not a special connection. Biblically, it's a serious commitment. Y'all see the difference there? You don't fall into love. Love is forged. Like love is built, love is drawn near. Love is where you stand beside the fire as it grows in a light and a warmth. And you love the light. I got to see this in a buddy of mine a week ago. We were hanging out. Good friend. His name's Jordan. And we were talking about the same theme. And he starts by sharing just about what God had been doing in his life and where he's been recently. And he begins telling me about a realization he had. He starts to share how, man, I love spending time with my wife. I look forward to it. I can't wait for it. And then his heart shifted with this sincere sense of, but there's more. And what he said is, I really want to have that feeling about my relationship with God. Not in pursuit of a feeling, but in pursuit of intimacy. He's like, I want to long for God in that way. Here's the amazing thing. Jordan's the type of guy where if you hung out with him, he's actively connecting with God consistently. He's waking early to spend time. He's a part of a community group where folks are coming and they're asking him questions. They're, they're engaging his marriage. He's living out a resisting of the devil to where he, he even shares, yeah, faith and just where God's had them as they're working through different things in their life. He came and he shared with his wife, hey, you need to know, today at work, I had a hard time with my eyes lingering and my heart and my mind shifting to be attracted towards things that are not mine. You are the woman I treasure. You are the woman I adore. You are the woman that I want. But there's a brokenness in me that I'm still warring against. And he's telling her, he's confessing, he's resisting, he's submitting, he's drawing near and I left that conversation with the same thing that's not a special connection that's a Holy Spirit led commitment submission is the path to freedom if there's areas of your life that are a discouragement to you to others that they bring pain to you to others here's what's true of you in the same way it is true of me every time it's a lack of Trusting, lack, following. Let's keep looking. All right, we're gonna jump back in. We're gonna read verse 
8. Verse 8, and we're going to finish that out. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And then here's where we're picking it up, right? Super happy verse. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So as we look at how submission is the pathway to freedom, there's a second part of it. If it starts with commitment, where, where does commitment lead? To a cleansing, to a cleansing. Here's the reason I love my Bible, right? Let's just imagine. If you have a problem with trusting the Bible or seeing it as true, let's just imagine, right? James, he was the first book in the New Testament in terms of timeline, right? Let's say James knew his big brother didn't believe him, right? Or his big brother didn't come back from the dead, but he just saw this momentum, and he wanted to keep this momentum going, and he knew, man, I got to promote this. I got to send out this pamphlet to tell people about Jesus, even though he doesn't really fully believe it's true, but there's some truth to it, so he wants to keep it going. Basically, the way many of the world would just come to Jesus and say, no, he's not Savior, but he's a good teacher, right? Do you think if James was trying to promote that, he'd include this on the pathway of the Christian life. Like, like if you're trying to promote something to make it true, would he come and would he lead with, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. He'd only do it if he knew this is the way that leads to freedom. This is the way that leads to blessing. Cleanse and purify. This would be the language that would have been really familiar, especially to James's audience. Like those are two verbs that are used throughout your New Testament. It's for ritual cleansing, ritual purity. If they went for moments to make atonement. And then what is he calling out in the hearts of these people? You sinners, you double-minded. He's building on the reality from before, what we learned last week. How within each of us, there's a component of adulterous faith. How we as Christians, we come and we say, no, I'm faithful unto God and to God alone, his will. And yet I war with the desire for my will. I'm double-minded in that. I straddle the fence. There's a sinning component even though I have been made a saint. And you see that here. So what does it look like for you and me as we go to cleanse? What does it look like for you and me as we go to purify? Well, cleansing, as you look at that, he says, cleanse your hands. And then he says, purify your hearts. Cleanse your hands. He's speaking to the external actions. What, what are the actions in my life that as you guys get around me, you don't have to have the gift of discernment. You could just see, Omquist, that seemed off, bud. Seems like you're missing it there. Hey, I love you. I know that you want to be about this. I gotta help you with that. Cleanse your hands. What's, what's the sin in your life that you're actively aware of that we can see? And then I love James because he takes it to the next level and he says, but purify your hearts. It's that actions are motivated by the attitude. So as God captures the attitude, the belief of the soul, what changes the behavior of the man or the woman? To where he says, there's a confession of not just what people see, but the internal parts that you and I try to hide. That's not some strange form of therapy. That's the path of biblical repentance. 
where you and I come and we confess our sins to God, confess our sins to man for prayer and healing and for the help and support as we walk forward in life. It's not an optional thing with Christianity. It's a mark on the path to submission. Proverbs 28, 13 is a key verse when it comes to this. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. There's been times in my life where as a follower of Jesus Christ, there has been sin that I tried to hide. I'll rationalize it. I will cloak it with good meaning, or if I told him it would just hurt. Or I, I, I can do all these things, man. I'm a master of justification of myself. I'm so good at it. And it never leads to prosperity. It doesn't lead to a sense of joy. It doesn't lead to a sense of peace. None of that. It doesn't lead to intimacy in relationships, especially when, right, there's sin there. Of course, anytime you come and you confess a sin, can that damage a relationship? Yes. But for the long-term health, man, cleanse, purify, confess. And then what does it lead to? Repent. We've talked before about how repent and also has this negative connotation in our culture, when in reality, it's a father in heaven pleading with a child, go the other direction because this way is danger. Go the other direction because this way is danger. And repentance looks like taking the external as well as the internal seriously. These are the heroes where people can come and they can begin to use language like, no, hey, I've really done a great job in trying to care for my family and set them up for success, which is great. It's wonderful. And then there's an honest reflection at times. You can talk with them and these faithful Christians will come forward and they'll say things like, hey, here's what I've realized. I've tried to control and manage my household. I was scared to entrust the care, development, and faith of my child to God. I was scared to entrust the care, development, and faith of my husband or wife to God. So really, I did all those things. And yes, there's good heart. There's good in it. But it's also mixed with this broken sense of my will. That's why you come and you connect with people. And oftentimes, folks who are experiencing pain and difficulty Can that be because suffering and things completely outside of their control in their life? Yes, absolutely. And what should we do in those moments? Meet them and mourn with them and plead on behalf of God for healing, for change, for help. But then there's another kind of suffering, and it's self-inflicted. It's self-imposed. And it's brought on by my sin. It's where my wife, she won't follow. Why? Because I've broken decisions with her in the past where there's not trust. It's where when it comes to dating, we don't want to date the way God wants because if we date the way God wants, maybe I won't get a husband as soon as I want. And then it becomes my will, God's will, my will, God's will versus a continual heart that says, God, I'm prone to put me first, but would you make me believe? Submission is the path 
to freedom. There's no way on that path apart from cleansing. Confession and repentance are normative in the life of a Christian. Why do people not do that then? I think it's because they're terrified to admit it to themselves or to others. Right, but if I really said that out loud, what would they think of me? As soon as my heart goes there, as soon as your heart goes there, you're living for the wrong person. You're submitted to you, not submitted to God. Why do people not live this way? I think there's a lot of folks who honestly live in a cloaked version of, I don't really have active sin. Right, what that means is the external is honestly fairly polished, but we don't realize we all have a tendency to be a whitewashed tomb. Yes, that's, that's true of you before you believe, but man, we still have a tendency to think, okay, well, what's on the internal? My anxiety, my nervousness, my control, my lack of respect. My, my thought of thinking, hey, my way is better. My passivity towards the things of God, the internal. And what's the final one, I think? It's because people don't think sin's that big of a deal. Like, he died for you. He forgave you. Therefore, why is it that big of a deal? And why do we have to be so serious? Like, can't James just kind of relax a little bit? I get that one. And here's why. Because sin is actively opposing you, actively opposing God. It is unloving to tolerate what opposes you and opposes God. To our you and I, we must take sin Seriously, cleansing. A buddy of mine called me in college and said, hey man, I'm an alcoholic. I went with him to AA just as a support buddy for probably, every, I don't know, four to six weeks. I just sat there and I listened, right? AA, depending on where you go, it can be a phenomenal ministry, great things. It's based on biblical steps. There's no connection to Jesus Christ as Savior. It's a higher power. All that set aside. I can remember sitting there and going to this. And at that point, I was working through drinking in my own life. What did that look like? But I can remember sitting there, and here's what much of the meeting included. Now, now, if you're here and you've been to meetings or you attend that, I'm not saying this is true of every meeting. It just happened to be true of that meeting that met on the north side of Atlanta. Folks would show up, and it's like they swapped war stories. Like each time it would come to their chance to talk, there was a sense of, man, I can remember when I drank this, I did this, this almost happened, but man, I got away with it. And then at the very end, they'd tag on this, but hey, I'm really glad I'm in recovery now where they'd come and they'd celebrate and they'd highlight, they'd reminisce and there's this nostalgia over the sin and this kind of like laughter to it. And then they'd tag on, but I'm really glad I'm in recovery now. I think their heart is like my heart. I so quickly have a tendency to not want to take it seriously and I so quickly forget the pain, the pain that I brought to myself, the pain that I brought to others. That's why cleansing is a part of submission on the path of freedom. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10. Be wretched. Oh, man, he doubles down. Be wretched and mourn and weep. In case you don't know what he means there, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then the summary theme of this whole chapter, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Submission is the only way to freedom. The third component of submission, it's contrition. 
contrition, if you don't know what that means, remorse, a heart of penance, a desire to go another direction. What does James say should mark you and I in response to our sin? Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's saying take it seriously. Jesus Christ died for it. He's saying that when you and I come and we trivialize our sin, what we're doing is we're marginalizing what he had to die for. What he had to die for, for me, the moments where I reminisce and man, I can do this and I can look back and I can laugh or the moments where I can stop and wonder, man, the fun I could have. I know it'd lead to pain the next day, but there'd be a moment in there where if I committed to it, I wouldn't care. And how my heart can lean into that, James is saying, no, no, lean out. Lean out. Don't trivialize sin. Take sin seriously. That's where you begin to see this, this final summary theme in this statement for what does submission look like. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. What is submission? It's an act of humility. It's acknowledging you are God. What is resisting? It's knowing I can't do this and I'm not strong enough. I need to resist. Why do I draw near? Because I need a savior and a helper. Why must I cleanse? Because there's sin. Why must I purify? Because there's brokenness inside me. Why must I be wretched, mourn, and weep? Because I, in the same way these first century persecuted Jews who are enduring difficulty in their faithfulness, they had a tendency to not want to take it seriously. Contrition is a mark of faithfulness. That final verse, humble yourself and he will exalt you. We spent some time talking on it last year where there's this key idea in the Christian life. The way up is down. If you want to be made high, make yourself low. But here's the thing. Our culture has this inverse approach to it. And that's why I'm telling you, submission is the way to freedom when no one would say that that's true. Culture would say, no, make much of yourself. But as you do that, and, and you can try. Like if, if, you don't, if you don't believe me, try for a while. You will be made left Low, longing, because there's something your heart was meant for, and it won't be satisfied there. You see this true in the heart of King David. King David, famous guy. Many of you, you, you probably know him. He's David and Goliath, the Old Testament Bible. David, this man after God's own heart. David, tending his sheep, seemingly faithful as the day is long. And then you get to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and it starts out, and David stopped going out to war. What did he do? The submission went from God's will, my will. He stops going out to war. Whoa, some of you know the story. This is where he goes. He sees Bathsheba. She's beautiful on a rooftop. He takes her, right? Men bring her. What? He has sex with her. She gets pregnant. A child comes from it. He tries to hide the pregnancy by bringing in her husband, who was, by the way, his like, key general, by bringing him in to create this cover-up. That doesn't work. So what does he do? Has him killed. What happens after he has him killed? David goes on. From the moment of Bathsheba to the moment where, if you know the story, David had a member of his community group, we'd call it, a prophet by the name of Nathan. 
came to rebuke him, came to put him in his place, came to say, you're not submitting, you're not resisting, you're not drawing near, you must cleanse, you must purify. And came to put David in his place. It was about a year later. You see this moment, though, where David and the realization, there's two beautiful passages. If we had more time, we'd turn there. One of those moments that comes out of Psalm 51. Psalm 51, there's this verse 17 where David, he's talking about what God wants from him in response to this grievous sin. And David's sitting here saying, do I go make sacrifices? What do I need to do? And God says to him, a broken and contrite heart I will not despise. What does God want from you and from me on the path of submission? A heart that says, I yield. A heart that says, you had to die for me, man. And you love me. You came to set me free. And I have a tendency to not even trust the freedom. I yield. Church, submission is the path to freedom. How does that take place? It takes place with a commitment. Like there's an active pursuit of God, a resistance of sin. It takes place with cleansing. Confession and repentance are normal. And I know that most people think that's crazy, man. Take it up with James. That's not 21st century, a new technique on the local church that's come out of a response to the counseling movement. Nope, it's just your Bible. In contrition, we take seriously the things that God says to take seriously. Does that mean Christians shouldn't be marked by joy, laughter, fun, goofing off, and being one of those tables where you go to a restaurant, the Christian family seems to be the family that's having the most fun? No, we should absolutely be about all those things. Because God wants us to be about the things that lead to life, he says, don't act like those other things don't bring death. Don't flirt with what I died for. Go all in on what I've called you to live for. Contrition. How do we do that? The first thing I think today for many folks is starting. And if you don't agree, that's okay. Share it with other people, wrestle with it. Think through do you believe? God, I submit, but I need to submit. Like if you have a tendency to categorize your faith in the same way I do. If you have a tendency to say, no, I'm okay with this, but this part, really, man, I want to do this my way. Stop and reflect. Do you need to pray, God, I submit, but Lord, really, I need to submit. Make my heart believe Two ways to do that, two ways practically, is you choose, humble yourself, by the way, it's a choice, it's an active command, it's something you do. You can't do this alone. There's a reason James is writing to church folks, whereas they come and they hear this, they turn, they say, man, I need to cleanse, I need to purify, I've confessed this to God, can I confess this to you? Will you pray for me and then let's go? Hey, here's how I'm gonna draw near, here's how I'm gonna care for my family. God, I know God told me in Deuteronomy 6 to love the Lord with all my heart, I'm not doing that, and because of that, my kids aren't following, I'm not gonna blame my kids, I want to lead different, where they're turning to each other and they're sharing all this stuff. Do you have people you can turn to? Here in the Springs, we call that a community group. 
Do you have people in your life that love you enough to say, I will help you submit? And then you look back and say, I'll help you too. None of us are meant to go it alone. Humble. Submission is the pathway to freedom. I'll close with this. Man, I've got to see this so true. A buddy of mine by the name of Dan. Dan, he came to know Christ at age 16. Trusted Christ, believed, man, life changed. Part of this youth group was so exciting. He then goes off to college, and his heart begins to drift. Never unactive, never would say, hey, I'm not doing that. Never took time where he's saying, hey, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be a part of a weekly gathering. I don't need to go sing songs and hear the Bible taught. Never that. But here's what began to be more and more true of Dan's life. All of a sudden, work became an idol. All of a sudden, marriage in a relationship with his wife, it became something to manipulate and to manage. Why? Because he wanted to have control over it. He wanted it to go his way in the broken sense of inadequacy and insecurity that creeps into so many people. Where does that then lend itself to? Well, hey, if I'm feeling less than here, how do I go feel more by stealing and capturing images on the internet when they shouldn't even be mine? Hey, how do I come? Because it's been a long day at work. How do I come home? And you know, man, I'll just drink one. Just take the edge off. I'll just drink two. And that's slowly become more in at times. High tides, low tides, all that. To where this once, faithful, always believing throughout man, is now wrestling with submission. And because of it, he wasn't experiencing freedom. About six years ago, Dan began to realize that in his own life. Dan began to realize the pain that it was bringing to him, to his family, the desire to be more of a husband, the desire to be more of a dad, the desire to be a man who feared God and from that love submitted. What did he begin to do? Resist. Dan at that time, he had a job making a noticeable amount of money as an independent contractor, but he said, hey, it's not healthy for me to be alone isolated in a room with a locked door because that room with a locked door can lead to temptation and running other places to where there's this duplicity to me that must die. He took another job in an office. Why? To remove that. He, he wanted to draw near to God. One of the things that's true of Dan is he's an auditory learner. So what did he start to do? He started to listen to the word of God consistently. He started to listen to other books about it to enlighten and to show his heart to draw near he began to come forward and to confess sin to call sin what it was to not hide behind it both the external what you could see as well as the internal there's no such thing as a respectable sin and what's happened in that man what has changed does he still wrestle with some of that stuff for sure, he's not perfect. Did he hurt his wife throughout the process of all that? Absolutely. He's a different man. Was he faithful? Did he believe throughout? Yes, but was he submitted throughout? No. And what is he finding more and more of now? Freedom, peace, joy, like, like a love. And when you get around him, there's a sense of, he really believes this, man. He really loves this Jesus. His wife is seeing it a different way.
church. That's not complicated. But that can be hard. The Christian life is the good life. Jesus Christ came and he paid for all the brokenness of my life and Dan's and in yours, past, present, future. He doesn't bid me come and be a better version. He doesn't look at me and say, bow. He says, believe. Believe I died for you. And what does believing produce? I want to gladly bow. That creates freedom. It's an abundant life. It's a better life. My friend Dan has found it, and countless people here have found it. So my ask of you, will you, not just believe, will you submit? I want to, and I want you to help me as I run that way. Let me pray that we would do that. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of it and what it's done in my life and the lives of others. God, I, I thank you that, man, you come and there's rejoicing and there's joy and yet there's a sincerity to what you say is true. God, may we come and live a life of submission. May we come and live a life that pursues you where we choose humility. God, I thank you knowing as we fight to draw near, you will draw near to us. God, we give you the rest of this time. It's in your name. Amen.